for the last about 25 years or so, <clears throat> the U.S. Department of Commerce has maintained uh, a statistic uh, that is very interesting. It's a statistic that compares the amount of money spent on food eaten inside the home with food eaten outside the home. It compares money spent on food prepared inside the home with food prepared outside the home. And this, this fascinating statistic <laughs> illustrates a significant cultural shift that is happening all around us. We're becoming a you-do-it-for-me consumer mentality culture. So check this out. Here's the statistic. Americans are on trend to very soon tip the scales into spending more money on food that is eaten outside the home that is food that is, than food that is eaten inside the home. Now, now think about this with me for just a minute. Let this statistic sink in for a bit. Very soon in our country, the majority of meals will be prepared by someone other than the person actually eating the meal. We are becoming a someone-else-does-it-for-me society of entitled consumers. And here's the problem that we address today. The overwhelming majority of those in America who claim to follow Jesus, the overwhelming majority of those in America who claim to follow Jesus are 100% spiritually fed Bible content once a week by a meal prepared by someone else. If you're a mature believer, this should scare you to death. Too many of us have begun to think we need to be fed more than we actually need to learn to cook ourselves. Listen, the problem in America isn't that there isn't enough good Bible content around. Like we live in a glut of resources. And Bible content and good teaching and good churches isn't like the problem. The problem is that there aren't enough people willing to learn to become involved in the actual means of production so that they themselves learn how to cook their own meal. We have grown in this setting to become too used to having prepackaged, easily digestible, presented with funny stories, kinds of meals that make it easy for me to have what I need. And listen, I get it. <laughs> I really do. I'm as lazy as anyone. I've got a lot to do as a husband and as a father, as a pastor of a church that's growing. 
I mean, the thought of learning to cook, let's go back to cooking, for example. The thought of learning to cook for me is paralyzing. I mean, I, I really, I do get it. I would much rather, in fact, I practice this. I would much rather pay someone else who is good at cooking to contact the farmers and the suppliers to make sure the good ingredients are on hand. And, and listen, they've got better tools and resources than I do. It's just easier. In fact, I could make an argument for me paying for someone else to do the cooking is actually a good use of resources. <laughs> like I could make an actual argument for that, right? And frankly, what they make tastes a whole lot better than any meal I could ever prepare. So why even try? <laughs> why even try? I mean, it's not my gift. It's not my thing. If I do that, it'll be keeping someone else from using their gifts, right? So what? Let's let them do their thing. I'll do my thing over here, right? (laughs) I I get it. And and listen, I'm also not saying everyone needs to be a church leader or everyone should be leading a Bible study in that role of teacher that is a gift. I'm not saying that everyone has the gift of teaching. I'm not saying everyone must be able to teach others how to cook amazing French cuisine. I mean, speaking theologically and metaphorically here, right, of course. I'm not saying that every follower of Jesus must learn how to cook their own spiritual meals so that they don't have to, uh, you know. What I am saying is they don't have to depend on someone else and paying someone else so that they can share what God's given them with others. That's what I'm saying. You don't have to learn to teach somebody else how to do French cuisine. (laughs) I don't know if you call this French cuisine up here, but... You know, you don't have to train somebody else to do McDonald's if that's what you consider this. But you have to be able to to cook your own meal. You have to be able to cook your own meal if you're going to be a witness to the power of God in you. Friends, in our world of becoming uh, increasingly removed from the means of in the process of production, it's easy to think of this place as like fast food for your soul. <laughs> it's easy to think of this as the place where you come and you're fed. Boom, once an hour, I'm good. It's easy to sort of think of that when it comes to this place. It's easy to fall into the trap of feeling like you are uh, spiritually entitled to what this guy up here is paid to do. (laughs) Which means you've fallen into the trap like the rest of culture. it's, It's... It's easy to allow yourself to become a consumer instead of a contributor. It's easy to believe that it's someone else's job to feed spiritually. And at some level that's true. But not Monday through Saturday. It it can't be. I can't come to your house. Listen, friends, you cannot outsource your spiritual growth. And I think many of us have bought into that. As if this is how it works at church, just like it works when I drive through or go to the grocery store. I pay my tithe or 
or I tip occasionally, wherever you land on that and get what comes as a result of that pay to play. Friends, you cannot outsource your spiritual growth. That's just not how it works. This isn't fast food. This is more like a low simmer than it is microwave. And when you think about it, is it any wonder that many in America who call themselves followers of Jesus are so spiritually weak and ineffective that they can hardly go out these doors and do anything other than talk about themselves and not the power of God. It's because they've stopped learning to cook their own meals and share the abundance of what they get in their relationship with God with others. They've stopped learning. They've stopped learning. We've got to get into the Scripture because there's a lot of it, and I only have 21 minutes left. So we're going to look at two sections of Scripture today, Luke 24 and Acts 1, that seem at first glance to have little to do with our topic today. But I think as we dive in together and we fill in some context, we'll see that they're very helpful for us because there's an important transition that happens in these passages. An important transition of power and responsibility that happens between Jesus and his first followers in these two sections of Scripture. These two sections are Luke 24... Uh, 36 to 53, if you don't have it yet, and Acts 1, 1 through 11. They're essentially parallels describing the same basic scene. So jump in with me first at Luke 24, 36. We've got a lot to do here, so buckle up because we've got to move swiftly through a lot of Scripture. It says this, verse 36. As they, meaning the original disciples minus Judas Iscariot, so the remaining 11, as the remaining 11 were talking about these things, meaning things have to do with the question of, hey, what does it mean to follow Jesus now that he's gone? Since, I don't know, the tomb was empty (laughs) and uh, this risen Jesus has been seen by some people and the Jewish and Roman authorities are coming to get us and what does it mean for me to follow him in all of that context Right now, we know from the parallel in John that they are standing right now in this moment in a locked room, so they're a little freaked out, asking the question of who are we now that the tomb is empty and Jesus has apparently come back and the Roman authorities and Jewish authorities are after us too. So they're they're in that context, verse 36, asking this question, when, boom, Jesus himself stood among them. Third post-resurrection appearance. And he said to them... What's up, guys? It's me. Here I am, among you. (laughs) That's not really what he said, of course. He said, peace to you. In other words, they're freaking out. They're asking questions, understandably, a little bit worried about what's going on in a locked room. And and Jesus says, peace to you. It's going to be okay. (laughs) That's his first greeting when he appears out of nowhere. And miraculously is among them, verse 37. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. They thought they'd seen a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Remember that whole crucifixion thing? Hands and feet, check it out. It's really me. Touch me and see. For a spirit, a ghost, does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have as they were thinking. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they were still believing, uh, while they still, verse 41, disbelieved for joy and were marveling, which is a bit of a weird 
phrase that doesn't translate easily. Verse 41 is basically like saying, while they were still getting over what was going on before them, because it all seemed too good to be true, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? (laughs) They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate before them. So Jesus is like, okay, now that you can see that it's really me and we've gotten all that out of the way, (laughs) let us all of one accord calm down thyselves. Because, of course, Jesus spoke King James English. Calm down thyselves. Uh, let's get something to eat here. I'm a bit hungry. And, and listen up. He says, listen up, because this, what I'm about to tell you, is important. So listen up. Verse 44, he says, He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. This is what I was trying to tell you before. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms in the Old Testament must be Fulfilled, verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. At this point, he begins to teach them at some, some, some real length. He began to teach them at some length about how the Old Testament pointed to him as the Messiah. Now, now here in this account, Luke is condensing what was probably many days of them being together. We know from Acts that we're going to read in a bit here that Jesus spent some 40 days with the disciples after the resurrection. So he is condensing, Luke is condensing quite a bit here for us between verses 43 to 45 when he says this and the following. In verses 46 and following, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. This is Luke condensing it. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem, which is where they were. You are witnesses of these things. Now notice that the content of Jesus' teaching here, this is, this is crucial, I, I love this part. Notice that the content of his teaching to the disciples here was for the purpose, verse 47, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Look at the direction of the use of that basic content of the gospel. Jesus taught them so that they would be witnesses of these things to others. The great chef, to use our, or perhaps at this point abuse our metaphor, teaches them how to cook so that they could be fed, so that they could teach others so that they could be fed. He taught them so they could teach others. Please do not miss this. The Bible is ultimately (laughs) a missionary training book. It is not merely a personal, spiritual, fitness, devotional manual. You read this like it's your food pantry. So you can know things, not just to take amazing spiritual selfies, but to give it away to others. The Bible is ultimately a missionary training manual. And Luke is here recounting for us 
the basic content of the gospel. They spent 40 days, and then in one verse or two, he says, here's the gist. Here's what you need to know. I know there's 40 days, but here's what I want to tell you. Luke is here recounting for us the basic content of the gospel, the death and the resurrection of Christ that makes available repentance and forgiveness of sins, writing it as a witness so that we can be a witness. Just like Jesus told him, so that he could be a witness. I mean, do you, do you see how this works? Jesus told Luke, Luke wrote it down. So it's all right here, so that you can know it too. So read this to learn to become a witness. Likewise, I'm telling you now, like further missionary training, so that you can know it too. Just another version of the same thing. We read this so that we can learn to be the witness that we read about. This is our food pantry. <laughs> so we can learn to whip up some of our own meals. And listen, it's okay. It's okay if you just start with cereal and PB&J. 40 days of the content of the teaching of Jesus with the disciples is there in two verses. That's cereal and PB&J. Listen, I've been doing this Bible study thing for a long time. I got degrees in it. I do it every week. I love it. I love PB&Js and cereal. They're like my staples in life. The basic message that God loves you enough to send Jesus to live a perfect life before God for you because you and I are miserable failures whose rebellion against God is shameful and grotesque. I'm just preaching Bible. I mean, listen, Jesus said himself that he came to save those who know they need him and not those who don't. Jesus came for losers and broken people and mess-ups and failures and screw-ups. And unless you understand that about yourself, you still don't understand that you need Jesus. The more I know Jesus, the more I know I need Jesus. Friends, the basic message that Jesus alone takes the penalty of your sin upon himself in order to free you from the penalty of it is so precious by itself that if you find yourself getting bored with cereal and PB&Js, then something's wrong with you. It's time to go back to read how to make cereal and PB&Js for yourself. Listen, people, we are a church that has one bullet in our chamber. And the bullet is the gospel. And when we start using other game plans to bring about life change, it's time to join the Rotary and to shut the doors of this place. The gospel is everything or it's nothing. And Luke, this is the amazing thing going on in this passage. Luke has condensed 40 days of teaching with Jesus into a couple of verses and says, this is what you need to know to go be a witness. We'll come back to that in a little bit here. There's a reason I'm putting a fine point on that. Keep, keep reading here. Uh, keep reading verse 49. 
Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. This is Jesus speaking. At this point, they may not have known quite what he meant, but they will soon. Verse 49. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. He, he, notice he doesn't say anything here about making sure you get a PhD in Bible knowledge or that you first serve in ministry for a get, few years or that you get your feet under you enough, like you must have enough experience first before you can go be a witness. He says, stay here and worship and pray until God's power comes upon you. Apparently the power of God for witness is more important than most of our normal means and measures for ministry. There's a lot there that we could talk about. We won't. Verse 50. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, which is a suburb of Jerusalem, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them, which is, which is this gesture of what I've been doing, you're going to do. It happens all throughout the scriptures. What I've been doing, I'm asking you, I'm blessing you to do this. Lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now turn with me to Acts 1. Parallel account, friendly reminder. Uh, Acts was also written by Luke. So it's essentially volume 2 of Luke's gospel. And this basically confirms what we've just read in Luke 24, but it says a couple things a little differently to help us out. Jump in at Acts 1.1. It says, In the first book, meaning the Gospel of Luke, in the first book, O Theophilus, Theophilus might be a real person, might be a generic name for any Christian seeker or convert. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, which we just read about, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. In other words, after he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit was in charge. Verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, which he said, you heard from me, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now most everything from verses 1 to 5 that we just read uh, is not really new. We covered that in slightly greater detail, in fact, in Luke 24. Um, But verses 7 and following are new and give some further detail that's not covered in Luke uh, 24. This was at the Mount of Olives. This was at the Mount of Olives overseeing Jerusalem. Jesus is about to send when the disciples ask, verse 6, Lord, will you at this time, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? Meaning, does your leaving us mean that we get to be powerful again? Yay! That's what they're basically asking. But check out his answer, verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to hardly know 
what everybody around you thinks you have to know. Let's stick with you having to know what the Scriptures say is important. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but, verse 8, you will receive... Look what it says. Does it say you'll receive political power or information or truth or theology or instruction or right answers or a map? No. Right on the heels of their question where they ask, he says it is not for you to know. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He doesn't give them a map doesn't give them more information. He has already done the basics of that. They didn't need more. They had enough training. The next step was to experience being humbled before the power of God so that they would be witnesses to that power and not their own. So that they wouldn't mistake the effectiveness of their work for their own power. Listen, a lot of us are still stuck here in this moment, having not yet experienced verse 8, still needing to learn that witness only works in God's power and not in incessantly blabbing about ourselves all day long. I'm going to go this particular route because it's the one that I've struggled with most of my life incessantly blabbing about myself. How often I have gone through the day realizing I have mostly had relationships with people throughout the day where they heard about me and this much about the power of God in me. Like, nobody is attracted (laughs) to self Righteous, blabbermouth Christians. I mean, really. Nobody is attracted to self righteous, blabbermouth Christians who mostly talk about them getting to where they are because of what they've achieved, how smart they've been, how good of a cook they are, what cooking school they went to. Nobody actually believes those stories. I mean, some of us need to listen to ourselves for the love of God and others. And here's the thing. (laughs) We talk about ourselves so much, (laughs) you know, when everybody is going, "Uh uh-huh, but on the inside they're going, really? When all you do is witness to your own power, if somebody else does believe you and comes along with you for that short and boring ride, all you've done is convert them to you. You convert them more to a relationship with you than you have the power of God in you. The only way any of this works is if the power of God is in it. Otherwise, let's become rotary and shut the doors.
let's keep moving on lest we never get to football and lunch. Verses 9 and following. (coughs) When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, (laughs) this is interesting, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him going into heaven. Now, now I want you to notice a slight tone of rebuke that is intended here by, by Luke in verse 11. Jesus had commissioned them as witnesses. Jesus had ascended into heaven. And these two angels appear among them and basically say, <laughs> like, what are you still doing looking up into heaven, looking up at the sky? He's going to come as he promised. But for now, say goodbye to Jesus. Because, here's the kicker, it's your turn to carry on the work. This is the transition that is so significant from the Gospels to Acts. Jesus leaves. They're understandably shaken for a while, like, who are we now? What do we do? And when he leaves, a couple angels say, why are you still looking for him? He'll come back. It's going to be okay. Don't you worry. (laughs) But it's your turn to carry on the work. Get to work being the witnesses who do for others what Jesus has already done for you. That's the transition that goes on between the Gospels and Acts. You know how you become a witness who does for others what Jesus has done for you? You know how you become a witness who does for other people what Jesus has done for you? You learn to cook for yourself when it comes to your spiritual growth so you have meals that also can be given to others. I think a lot of Christians are still standing around looking up at the sky going, Jesus, we don't know enough. We're not smart enough. We're not experienced enough. We're not resourced enough. I get it. I have those same kinds of insecurities myself. Like, hey, Jesus, I thought there'd be a map or something with which I am more comfortable personally so that I could, you know, sort of navigate this whole thing with a little more trust and confidence. This Holy Spirit leading me one step at a time thing. It's a little more faith and trust than I kind of thought this would be. (laughs) I think a lot of times we're saying things like, I need more substance, I need more meat, I need more food, I need more training as a way to put off what we know is actually now our responsibility. We say things like, I need more substance and meat and food and training as a way to communicate that we want to learn but not give away. Cook some, but not share. You want to know if you're still cooking for self? Is your witness, is what your life communicates about the power of God or the power of you? Am I cooking for just self or am I cooking for others yet? Is what your life communicates about the power of God or the power of you? I think one of the cool things we learn here is that the power of God for witness is released in us and through us when we learn that feeding is not for self, but also ultimately for others. 
There's a real paradox in the Christian life that releases the power of God for witness. (laughs) Christian growth doesn't happen so much by being fed as it does learning to feed others. And if you really want to grow, start sharing the power of God's work in you. Pick up a Bible, start learning about how God works and the power of God and it's His work in you. Pick up a study guide, pick up a Bible reading guide, serve on a team, connect in a life group. If you want to grow, there are plenty of ways to, to share about the power of the work of God in you. If you want to stay apathetic and stagnant and boring, then just keep cooking your own meals and don't share with anyone. Or, worse yet, just go out to your favorite fast food joint here once a week at best. Like sometimes we have growth opportunities actually all around us. And you know how I know? Because they're called people who need desperately to know about the work of the power of God in them. Meanwhile, and I get it, I I have these insecurities all the time. I'm looking up at the sky going, Jesus, I need no more. I need to know more stuff. We have opportunities for growth all around us. They're called people. This is a people building work here. This is what we're in the business of doing here. We're in the people building business. Helping people find and follow Jesus is the goal. And it happens. We give ourselves to the work of being a witness to the power of God in us. And not, not, not a witness to the power of us in us. May we continue to be people who do for others what Jesus did for us. If that transition doesn't happen, we're just not going to grow. Let's pray. Lord God, we are forever grateful for who you are and what you've done for us. And we ask that you continue to reshape our hearts and minds around the truth that it is your power at work in us that gives us everything that we need to be witnesses. To be used of you so that others would come to know saving faith so that others would come to know you as Savior and Lord. Father, forgive us for giving into the fears and the insecurities that we call our need for, for substance and meat and, and more training. Lord, indeed, we look forward to the day when you return. But right now, we're grateful, Lord, 
that you have given us a Holy Spirit to guide us until that time. And we ask that you'd give us the faith and the trust to step into those places of growth that you have for us. Forgive us for being um, too easily fed by others as the end game. Call us, Lord, into those places that stretch us and move us forward and that demonstrate that you indeed are the power at work within us. And that our preconceptions, our assumptions are not. So Father, use us as you will. We pray for your power and ask that it would be made known and ask that it would be on full display here and ask that in the lives of this body of believers that your Holy Spirit would demonstrate that you are the one that makes us new. That without you we are hopeless and lost. That were it not for your Son, Jesus, and his perfect life lived for us, we are, we are despised, worthless sinners condemned to an eternity apart from you. So Lord, <laughs> we don't wallow in that, but we recognize our need for you from that because we recognize that you're a great God who gives us hope and eternity and glory with you forever. Help us to tell that story well, Lord, so that you would receive glory because you alone deserve it. And you will receive it. Take us on that journey, Lord. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.